Uh, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Uh, before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. If you think it's off, please check again. Uh, it disappeared. I'm responsible, but I have no idea what happened to it. It was, it was here five minutes ago. When you came in, it was right here, and it's gone. That's for the next session. For now, just sign this one if you can. Change this to 1245. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. <clears throat> if there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by ask-it-basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. The topic for this session is Step 11, Seeking the Spiritual Path, and the principle is Spirituality. We'll begin with a selection from For Today, page 17. It is only when I let go and let God that I feel serenity. It is only when I give up that I see the answers God puts before me. It is only when I stop trying to control control that my life goes smoothly. So let's welcome Christina, our first speaker. Right. See if I can do this sideways. Can you guys hear me? Yes. I think if I stand back there, you won't see me. Um, My name is Christina. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'm very happy to be here with you all today. When I was asked to speak at the convention, I had a list of topics that they were looking for speakers for. And right away, I said this one. I want to do step 11. So I'm really glad that I'm able to, to be here and, and talk to you guys about this step. Um, so I want to, I mean, I could probably talk for way longer than, is it 15 minutes that I have? Yeah, probably could talk for way longer than that. Um, so I'm going to try to keep it brief and just start by qualifying a little bit. So I came to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting in June of 1994, um, the same week that I turned 18. I recently turned 40, so I've been here for a long time, more than half my life. Um, and I have 21 years of continuous absence by the grace of this program, which is a um, wonderful miracle that is not something that I can take credit for. 
The only things I've done right in my time in this program is I have kept coming back no matter what, even when I didn't like the people in the rooms, even when I felt disconnected and angry and bitter and resentful and everything else that you could imagine, um, I kept coming back to meetings because this is where I belong. In my very first meeting, I heard people talking about the things they did with food. And not only that, I heard them talking about how their lives were unmanageable and how they felt about themselves and how they felt about the world and their resentments and their fears and their insecurities. And I related to it. Um, I related to things that were coming out of the mouths of people who looked very, very different than I did. People who were older than me, who had much more weight than I had, um, but I related to what they said. So I've never stopped coming back, and the only other thing I've done right is I haven't picked up that first compulsive bite since I got abstinent. And it took me about four months of struggling on and off to really get to that place where it was surrendered and something else happened, something shifted, and I wasn't trying to hang on by my fingernails and control it. And I was able to have some grace and some release around the food. And um, I know that I am a compulsive overeater and that the most important thing I can do today is not pick up that first compulsive bite because I can't have any hope of recovery if I do that. So um, I want to start talking about the step by reading it. Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. And that part is italicized. That's a really important part of this step, and I'm going to talk quite a bit about that as I share my experience. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So step 11, I feel like, is one of the steps that you can kind of take out of order. The steps are in order for a reason. And when I got here, the idea of doing a four-step or a fifth-step or a ninth-step just seemed completely overwhelming. But I was told from the very beginning that I should start to pray. And that was not something that I embraced. So I came in here really not interested in anything spiritual. I came to this program because I couldn't stop eating compulsively, and I hated myself. And I was just shoving the food in my mouth as I was doing it, thinking, God, you're such a fucking, you know, sorry, this is being recorded, so I probably shouldn't swear, saying all kinds of mean things to myself, hated my body. I had just body obsession that, you know, getting dressed, I'd be trying on different outfits and thinking how I look terrible in this and terrible in that, horribly self-conscious, afraid of people, full of resentment, full of fear, lonely, didn't know how to have relationships, had no friends, had no <coughs> boyfriend at the age of 18, just isolated, alone eating compulsively, being rude and nasty to my family members. My life was a mess. So I came here. I didn't know it was going to help with all the life stuff. I just came because I was eating out of control, and I hated my body, and I was really scared. And um, I heard people talking about how their lives were unmanageable and talking about the solution and talking about God. And no, thank you. I'm not interested in God. I grew up in a house where we, we were not religious, and we didn't talk about spirituality. I didn't know that that could be distinct from religion. And we had maybe, you know, if we had a religion, it was education. It was, you know, educating yourself, being smart, being professional, all that kind of stuff. It was not anything to do with a spirit or a spirituality. But people said, well, just act as if. That's okay. You know, just act as if. So right from the beginning, people suggested that I pray. And my very early experiences with prayer... Um, I'd been coming around and maybe for a few weeks, maybe for a month or so, 
And people kept saying, well, just act as if. It doesn't matter what your higher power is. It doesn't have to be a traditional kind of God. Just act as if there's a power greater than yourself that can help you. So the first prayer that I ever remember saying in this program, I got down on my knees and I said something to the effect of, God, I don't know what you are, and I don't believe in you. I don't think you're really out there, but I can't stop eating compulsively, so please help me. And I got up from my knees, and I was abstinent for something like two weeks from that day, which was the longest I'd been able to go without eating compulsively. And that kind of cracked the door open for me to start to consider what was this spiritual thing that people were talking about. And a few months later, um, you know, I'd still been struggling and having some periods of not eating compulsively and then falling off the wagon and really trying to control my food and really still being obsessed with my body and really still wanting this to be a diet. And I was at work one night. Those of you who know me have probably heard this story a million times already. I was at work one night. I was working at um, a restaurant as a hostess, and I could not leave my hostess stand. I had to stand there and do my job, and I felt that overwhelming compulsion to eat, that one that was like a hole inside of me that just opened up this vast chasm and needed to be filled with food. And there was no way that I could have that feeling and not eat compulsively. It had never happened before that I had had that feeling and not eaten compulsively. And I couldn't leave my post. I couldn't go make a phone call. This was way before cell phones, so it's not like I could just text somebody. And I just stood there and prayed, and I said, okay, God, I I trust you can help me. I can't do this. I trust that you can. Please help me. And that was the start of my abstinence, that, you know, by the grace of this program that I've been able to be abstinent since then. That was in October of 1994. And... So when I worked the steps, people said, well, create your own higher power. And so I did that. I made up a higher power that sounded like something that I would want. I wrote a job description for a higher power, as I'd heard many other people do, and created something that was loving and kind and um, that had my best interest in heart and had a plan that was, you know, good for me. And I turned my will and my life over to that. And I heard people say that, Um, In the morning, you should say, please help me, and at night, you should say thank you. And so for many years, that's what I did. I prayed every morning when I got up. uh, Before I would eat breakfast, I would get on my knees, and I would pray. And some of it would be um, things like the serenity prayer or the third step prayer, some of the prayers that I learned here in this program. And others would be just asking for help with things in my life, you know, making requests of my higher power, that kind of thing. Meditation was harder in the beginning. It was really, really hard for me to sit still. And I've heard so many people say that, so I know that that's a common experience for many, many of us. I ate compulsively, first because I'm a compulsive reader, but also I think because, or maybe the reason I'm a compulsive reader is because I don't know how to cope with life. I just don't know how to handle feelings. I don't know how to handle people. I don't know how to handle relationships, uncomfortable situations, things not going the way I planned. Like, ah, you know. And it was really hard to sit still and just try to meditate and be in my body because I would be in my head. And my head is going and going and going and going and going. And um, it was probably, I don't know when I started to really meditate in this program. I, I made attempts at it, but prayer was much easier because I was talking and you know that was something I could do. It wasn't until, I'm going to say sometime between like year three and year seven, maybe in this program, being abstinent, when I really started to develop a practice of meditation. 
And um, there are some parts in the literature that talk about how to meditate that have been helpful. And I also uh, took a class that explored different styles of meditation. So our big book says that we should seek outside help when we need it. And I think around meditation, that was a really good thing for me. I got to experience some forms of meditation that were grounded in different religious traditions um, and some that were kind of more new age, not particularly religious, um, chanting and uh, sitting quietly and listening to guided meditations. Like we explored a lot of different things and that was really helpful because I was sitting in a room with other people, kind of like I would be in a room, in an OA room sitting with other people and we were all doing this together. And so there was a community there that was supportive, and there wasn't a dogma because we were exploring all these different things. So it appealed to that theological rebel in me that says there is no one right way to do it. And so here we're exploring different things and just kind of seeing what worked. And that was really nice. And I started to develop a meditation practice. And, um, and meditation is a wonderful tool. So there are a few things in here in the... AA 12 and 12 that I really love in the chapter on step 11. Those of us who have come to make regular use of prayer would no more do without it than we would refuse air, food, or sunshine. And for the same reason, when we refuse air, light, or food, the body suffers. And when we turn away from meditation and prayer, we likewise deprive our minds, our emotions, and our intuitions of vitally needed support. And on meditation, it says... And let's always remember that meditation is in reality intensely practical. One of its first fruits is emotional balance. With it, we can broaden and deepen the channel between ourselves and God as we understand him. So this has been really true for me, that prayer and meditation have been very practical and very necessary for my spirit. And that's not something that I ever really thought of before I came in here. So we talk about compulsive overeating as a physical, emotional, and spiritual disease. And for me, the physical recovery started when I put down the foods that I couldn't eat sanely, and I started following a food plan. And that fog, you know, that mental fog when you're eating compulsively dissipated, and the discomfort and the food hangovers and the being bloated and not fitting in my clothes and all of that physical stuff dissipated. And that was a miracle. But that wasn't enough because this isn't just... A physical disease. If it was just a physical disease, we would all find a food plan and we'd go out in the world and do it and we wouldn't have to come back here. And, you know, for a while I treated OA as, you know, a food plan and like a nice support group and I wasn't really interested in the steps. And I got to a place where I was really miserable. And, and then I realized that I really had to work on the emotional and spiritual parts of the program as well. And so working the steps has enabled me to have emotional and spiritual recovery that is absolutely necessary to sustain the physical recovery, and they're all connected. They all work together for me. So um, prayer and meditation help to ground me. It helps me to connect to something bigger than me. So I said in the beginning that this part in the step, God as we understand, or God as we understood him, is something I was going to come back to. But that's been so important to me. First, when I came into this program, as somebody who was not interested in the word God, having this program that people said, make your own higher power. It can be whatever it want. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be a particular conception. It doesn't have to look any certain way. It was so helpful. I, I wouldn't have stayed if people hadn't said that to me. 
And so, like I said, I, I created this conception of a higher power that worked for me for a long time. And then um, 11, 11 years ago now, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness. I have an autoimmune disorder. And it obviously was a huge thing that came up in not only how it affected my life, but how it affected my recovery and my understanding of spirituality. And this idea of a God that had a plan and was inherently you know, concerned with me and was guiding me towards some positive outcomes didn't work anymore. And when I first came into this program, one of the reasons that I was not interested in the, any kind of God was, you know, this is not, I'm not unique in this. I'm not the first person to say this. I'm not even the millionth person to say this. But why do bad things happen in the world? Why is there war and child abuse and genocide? You know, why do those things happen? I couldn't reconcile it. And people said, just set that aside. It's okay. You don't have to worry about that. Focus on a God that's personal to you. And for a long time, I did that, and it worked. And then when I got sick, I couldn't set aside those thoughts anymore I mean, I'm so self-centered. It's only what happened to me, right, that I couldn't set aside all the, the questions of why do bad things happen in the world because now it was happening to me. And, um, and I worked the steps. I worked in particular, I worked steps two and three again and kind of came to a new conception of a higher power. Um, and, or I should say higher powers because I don't um, have a traditional concept of God anymore. I consider myself to be an agnostic, leaning more to the atheist side, but... Who knows? I could be wrong, which is why I'm an agnostic, not really an atheist. I could be wrong. I still hold out that possibility that I, I am, I'm wrong, but I can't reconcile all the shit that happens in the world with a, a higher power that has power over things. So what do I mean when I talk about prayer and meditation as a way to connect with a higher power? So for me, and this is just my conception, we all get to choose our own, but my higher powers are things like this program, the steps. In working the steps, I have experienced change in myself and in my life that's been miraculous. And not just me. I've seen it happen in so many people around me. The steps are a power greater than myself that I can't understand completely. And if I work them, if I do them, if I do the writing and I follow what's written and I talk about it with a sponsor, something happens to me, but I didn't make it happen. So that, to me, is a power greater than myself. Um, nature is a power greater than myself. I can't control the sun rising and setting. I can't control the tides or the winds. And there's great beauty in nature, and there's also tragedy in nature, and I can't control any of it. It just is. I think of the spirit of humanity as a higher power, that somehow I'm connected to all of you, and I'm connected to everyone on this earth, and I'm connected to people who lived years and years before who've passed years and centuries even ago, that there's something that connects us all, that we're more than just our physical bodies. Although my physical body is a part of me and it's an important part, it's not all there is to me. There's you know, that internal part, that spirit, and I feel like my spirit is connected to you guys. Um, so when I think about powers greater than myself, those are the things that I'm trying to connect with. I, I went through a period... Um, probably for a couple years where I stopped praying. I just said, you know what? I, I'm an agnostic. I don't believe in a higher power. What am I praying to anyway? And I just stopped. And I continued to meditate, but I just felt like the prayer, it wasn't really that useful. And then um, I came to a point where there was some difficult stuff happening in my life, and my mind was doing that racing thing. And I just started praying because I was waking up really early in the morning, earlier than I needed to wake up. And so I just started praying in the morning, and I found it calmed me. And 
what do you know? Like, there's a reason they made this step after all. Um, It's true. Prayer and meditation, it really helps me. And so what my routine looks like um, is most mornings, I really try to pray every morning, and it happens most mornings. Um, I pray in the morning, and I meditate at night before I go to sleep. And they do different things for me. The prayer is a way to kind of tap into something. And I don't know if it's my higher self or it's the collective spirit of humanity or if it's the power of good in the universe. I don't know what it is. But it's a way for me to connect with something positive in the start of my day to kind of get me started on the right foot. And meditation, which I do at night before I go to bed, is a way to just kind of let go and calm down. And remember that I'm not in charge and that there are bigger powers at work in the world than me. And whether or not those powers are good or bad or neutral, I'm not in charge of them. And so all my attempts to control and make it happen and make it like useless just makes me crazy. So just let go. Um, So my prayers, I use some um, of the prayers that I've learned in this program. I also still just make things up. And I'm a really big believer in just take whatever is here and rework it. So as an agnostic in this program, you would think I would hate this book. Like this is a very, has a very Christian tone. And I just skip parts of it. And same with the big book. I love the big book. Probably because I've been reading it for so many years, just when I read it or I hear somebody read it, I just feel relaxed. It just has, I just have good associations with it. Um, And I was talking to a sponsee the other week and she was talking about, she'd been in a meeting and they were reading this part of the the big book, the chapter We Agnostics, and she was just saying, well, I just hate this part. And I was like, that's so funny because I just love this part. Um, And it's talking about, um, you know, the search for higher power. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. This is a very kind of traditionally Christian-sounding passage, but I love it because to me what it says is that deep down inside me is the fundamental idea of something bigger than me. Not of God, per se, but something bigger than me. And it may be obscured when there are difficult things going on in my life. I might feel really disconnected. I might feel like I can't connect with people. I can't connect with good in the world. I might feel fear and anger and all that. Calamity might obscure that feeling that I have, but it's in there. And it's not out there. It doesn't have to be affixed to any particular idea of God. It's something that's in here that I carry with me. And when I get quiet in prayer and meditation, I can access it. And it's not my only tool. I need to be in meetings. I need to talk to you guys. I need to do service. I need to write and do the steps. All of the tools are really important, and they have a place, and they support my threefold spiritual, emotional, physical recovery. But prayer and meditation have a very special place for me as somebody who is kind of intrinsically 
anxious and fearful and controlling to be able to relax and let go and remember that I'm not alone and, and to tap into something bigger is really, really wonderful. So um, thank you guys for being here. I'm so grateful to be abstinent and to have this day of recovery with all of you. Basket, basket, moving. Microphone. Thank you. Uh, where's the basket, basket? Okay. Okay, okay. I got to check this one off just a second. Okay, our second speaker is Mitch. Welcome, Mitch. My name is Mitch. I'm a compulsive overeater. I was in this room earlier and I was looking at the uh, questions up here. And looking back at my life prior to OA, I would say yes to all of them. And today I would say no. So this program has definitely changed me in a way that I never thought possible. I want to talk today first about the I wrote three things I want to talk about. <clears throat> First one is the fourth tradition. And uh, the reason why I want to bring up the fourth tradition, because when I read the fourth tradition, it kind of gives us the um, ability to choose our own higher power. And it also allows us, as an individual, not just as a group, to have some autonomy in that as well. In other words, what I may believe may be completely different than what anybody else believes. But then again, it may not be. But it allows that to be possible. So anything that I say or anyone else says at a meeting um, about God, there's one thing you can... I'm going to use some Christian type... I don't know what they call them, but... Anyway, it's not written in stone, and you can take what you want and leave the rest. And that's what I've done with most of the literature that we have, is that I've taken what I wanted and left the rest and changed it to my own, including the third and the seventh step prayer in the big book. When I was writing Ten Steps, I had one of the things my sponsor suggested was I write the third step out first before I start the 10th step and then finish it at the end with the 7th step prayer and those prayers just didn't work for me so he said rework them but just keep them with the same intent so that's what I did I rewrote them to my liking and I do the same thing when I read the literature if I don't like the way it's written then I'll change it within me and not when I'm reading it, but when I'm you know, listening to it um, or reading it out loud at a meeting is what I mean. So that it suits my belief or idea or philosophy or whatever word you want to use. And the fourth tradition, in my opinion, makes that possible for me to do that. So, 
Now, the second thing I was going to talk about was a little bit of my history on being on a spiritual path. Um, I had a spiritual life prior to OA. Um, I had been with um, one of the, a well-known guru in uh, the Bay Area and had studied Hinduism for years prior to coming to OA. And I had been whacked with the peacock feathers and sandalwood by that guru um, a couple of times. And um, it did not relieve me of um, these five questions um, that are up behind me. So my spiritual life, even though a lot had changed in me, and I wasn't the person I was when I started it. Um, it did not, there were people in my community, my spiritual community at that time, who had been practicing the principles of that spiritual path for many years, and for some for less years than me. And I saw that within them, that they had something that I still lacked, that I wasn't really content with myself, that I still had a lot of anger and hostility and resentment and even hatred, not only towards myself but towards others. And, um, and I didn't know what the problem was. I had no idea what the problem was. I tried talking to people within that spiritual community about this situation and I would get these answers that, you know, sometimes they didn't really make any sense. You know, they sounded like they were talking Greek or they were from Pluto or something. Thank you. And it bothered me in a lot of ways that... Um, and I was jealous and resentful around these people that had something that I wanted that I didn't, didn't understand why I didn't have it. Since I was doing everything they were doing and everything that the guru had told me to do and other people had told me to do, I was doing. And um, it wasn't until I came to Overeaters Anonymous that, um, and I changed my food, dramatically changed my food. Um, and I won't get into that, but it was dramatic. And um, that things started to change for me and working the steps and working with my sponsor and um, where things started to change. It changed so much that people within my other community would come up to me and they'd go, what are you doing differently? Because they could see the change in me, you know. And I would tell them that I was in this fellowship and then what I was doing with food. And they were like snaggletooth. You know, anybody remember the old cartoon snaggletooth? Exit, stage left, man. <laughs> I never seen people run so fast from me in all my time. I said, this is good. So the next time I want to get rid of somebody, I just start telling them, telling them about this book. And it worked. 
they would just go, oh, hey, Betty. And they were off over there going somewhere else, you know, not talking to me no more. So, and, you know, I wouldn't say that's a very good spiritual principle, but, you know, at the, at the time it worked, you know. And uh, so um, I kept working this program and kept working this program and um, staying abstinent. And um, I got abstinent in 2001. And, um, of course, we had some real tragic things going on, and we've had some real tragic things going on since that time, and I've managed to not have to eat compulsively, um, even in the midst of those tragedies that our country and has been through, and that I've personally been through. Um, I've seen many deaths including my father, which I wasn't really close to, but my mother, who I was close to, a friend of 30 years, the man that introduced me to the spiritual path that I ended on before I got here, um, passed away. And uh, he was a surrogate father, a mentor, spiritual advisor, friend. I loved that man, so... uh, And I lost, we lost him. He wasn't a member of this fellowship, but as a society, we lost somebody who I felt was uh, very special and very helpful and in his, in his own right, in his own way, and a very loving man. And uh, he saw me at my worst because um, I wasn't, I was not someone that anyone in this room would want to run into before I ended up in that spiritual community, believe me. I was, not, I don't even want to get into it, but I don't have time to get into the person I was. But it was not the person that you see up here today. Um, and he was the one that introduced me to a different way of living prior to OA. But as I said, when I got here, my connection to my higher power grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And what happened was that um, my sponsor in this, in a way, was um, a very loving man, but a very um, somewhat patient man. But he was a man who... uh, was very um, rigid in his um, way of doing things, which was helpful to me when I was writing my 10 steps with him. Because it wasn't just releasing the food and the, and the weight and the, the under-eating and the bulimia, thank you, that caused me to change, but it was the 10 steps. It was putting my anger, my hatred, my resentment, my jealousy on the paper. And taking, and within the 10 steps, it involved all the steps. And it was that process that what happened with that was that those things started to drop away. And I'm going to tell you, that it was not easy to learn how to live a life without resentment. 
Because how do you do that? I didn't know how to live a life without resentment. I didn't know how to live a life without anger and hatred, especially self-hatred. But when those things started to drop away and the 11th step started to kick in, I had to ask myself, how am I going to live? How am I going to live like this? And the only answer I could come up with or came to me was one day at a time. You just get up and you live your life without resentment. And you live your life without hatred. And you live your life without you know, those things that cause a lot of suffering in our lives and in our society. Then one day, <laughs> to my great shock, <laughs> was that um, I was in uh, yoga in a class, and I was in a triangle pose, and my heart opened up. And I don't mean my heart opened up. I mean my heart opened up to the universe, and I couldn't close it. I could not stop loving people and plants and animals and the sky and stuff. I did not come from that. That was totally different than anything I ever experienced in my life. I didn't come from that kind of a background, childhood, nothing. Not, there wasn't, that wasn't there. And I had to ask myself again, how do you walk on this planet with your heart open when there is so much out there that can cause you to be in pain and can cause you to suffer? And you just do it one day at a time with your heart open. And I've managed to do that. Well, I can't say I managed to do that. <laughs> That's happened because I didn't. I wasn't able to manage it. Because <laughs> if I was, I probably would have. Yeah, would have closed it, you know, real quick. And um, so I learned one day at a time to live a life with my heart open, and to be love, not just. To a person who expresses love, but to be love, no matter what. And there was a lot to be angry about, but I couldn't be angry at it anymore. I could only love it. Resentment is no longer really a part of my vocabulary. It's not a part of my life. It's gone. And when that happened, I was like, wow, that's that's kind of cool. And that was weird. And then one day I was shopping, grocery shopping, and all of a sudden my mind came up with this resentment. And I went, ooh, I was so excited that I had a resentment. It was like I hadn't had one for like a couple of years, you know. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. But I was too excited about it. It dropped away. It's like, you know, in order to really fester in resentment, you have to like have other things to keep you there. So it's, it's not like I don't get angry. Angry is not, not even the right word. It seems too harsh for me. But it's not like things don't upset me. But I just 
the ability to hold on to it is gone. And there wasn't nothing that I did. So when people say, oh, I let go of that, I go, really? You let go of it? Okay. But for me, it dropped away. Thank you. It dropped away. Everything that you would say that you've let go of is, which is your experience. It's not my experience. My experience is that that has just dropped away. And then I didn't let go of anything. It's like taking credit for being an accident, in my opinion. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It happened. And then ego wants to take credit for it. But then ego is diminished a great deal since this program has taken me where I never thought I would go. So I have about two or four minutes left, something like that. It's like I said, you know, it's like I said when I got started, you don't have to see things the way I do. And they may not be your experience, and that's fine. But the topic of, you know, seeking a spiritual path, which I did for many years, I seeked a spiritual path. And I think, in some regards, it was necessary to seek a spiritual path. And of course, I'd much rather be around people that are seeking a spiritual path than people who are seeking a different path. But one day for me, the spiritual path dropped away as well. And the spiritual seeker dropped away as well. I'm not on a spiritual path. And the reason I can say that is because, thank you, three minutes. I have a belief that, and this may sum it up, this last thing I wanted to talk about. And you can change the word God to spiritual path or whatever works for you. But a person searching for God is like a fish searching for water. There's no path, but yet all paths, all spiritual paths are fine. And they all get you to the same place. And where they got me was no path. And I'm not a Hindu, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Jew. If you ask me, I'd probably even tell you I'm not even this person. Because I really believe that I am love. I am love. And anything that gets in the way of that is false. It's not the truth. And that's, that's my belief. And I am so grateful for this path and the path that I had prior to getting on a spiritual path. Or just to say path because it seems to be more convenient. Um, I'd rather be here than where I was there because I was a very destructive person prior to my spiritual path and this 
this OA recovery program. So thank you for allowing me to share, and thank you for nobody leaving. That's really nice. <laughs> Okay, our third speaker is Meg. Please welcome Meg. Hi, I'm Meg. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, and I'm gratefully abstinent today. Um, I got the gift of desperation that got me into... OA, and that's G-O-D, Gift of Desperation. And so that was kind of my message from a higher power, get to OA. Um, I was desperate. Okay, so I've been in OA for 26 years plus. It'll be 27 in October. Um, I've been abstinent for 26 years and I've been maintaining a healthy body weight for 26 years. But what was a healthy body weight 26 years ago is not a healthy body weight for me now. <laughs> uh, I'm much less than I was then. Um, and it's just uh, things developed over time, and it, it was like messages from a higher power, whether it came through people in meetings or it came through doctors or other medical professionals. Um, um, I made changes and um, I am what I am today, which is about 50 pounds less than my highest weight before OA. I was a, a yo-yo dieter, so when I came in, I, I, was at, I had lost weight at my last um, weight loss program and so glad I don't have to do any of those now. Um, and um, and so I'm really grateful that my higher power got me to OA. Um, I'm grateful that I did all those things and tried it and, you know, did all those diets and gaining it all back, plus getting into the compulsive eating, desperation, that uh, obsession, compulsion, total always of um, thinking about food, and um, I'm glad that I'm not there now. That doesn't mean that I don't think about food at inappropriate times. It doesn't mean that I sometimes focus in, oh, what are you eating? Oh, oh, oh. And then looking at my plate and comparing. I still do that sometimes, but not all the time. I'm not always planning, oh, where am I going to get my next fix? Food. Yeah, I'm, I, um, I've tried other substances, but... Food is it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, I wrote a lot of notes here, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow them. And um, Anyway, um, so this, this is a spiritual program. Uh, there's mention of God or higher power all through the steps. Not everyone. The first step doesn't have it, but the second does. Uh, that a higher power could restore me to sanity. 
The third step, made a decision to turn my life and will, and I add my weight and my food over to my higher power. Um, the fourth step isn't, but the fifth step, um, admitted to myself, my higher power, and uh, another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. And if that isn't a spiritual um, practice, I don't know what else is. Because when I turned over my fourth step, that all those awful things I did, um, that feeling of a rotten core that nobody would want to be with me anymore once they saw it, all of that, turning it all over to um, another person and that person still wanting to be my sponsor was a miracle to me. Um, I'll be forever grateful for my first sponsor. Um, she taught me how to do the steps. She, um, she listened to my f- f- fifth step and um, she could relate to it. She was half my age and she could still relate to all the things that I had done. And, um, and didn't, you know, like say, oh, that's too much for me to handle. You've got to find somebody else or anything like that. She was just, okay, let's go on. Um, and then the sixth step, oh, my goodness, uh, become entirely ready to have the higher power remove all my defects of character. Oh, so my, my sponsor helped me find, define that list, make a list of all those defects of character, and so then I could look at them. And um, I don't know if she told me right away, but at one point she said, make an asset list as well. You need to see, you know, what are the good parts of you, because you're not just this defect list. There's more to you. So... Um, look at that list. I tell my sponsees, make, a, make that list while you're doing your fourth step so that you know that even though you're looking at all these things you did wrong, you have this part of you that is positive. Um, and um, becoming willing to have all my defects of character removed um, that was a big step. At first, uh, with her, I just read the two paragraphs in the big book, and then we went on to the eighth step, because there's a paragraph for six, a paragraph for seven, and we went on to the eighth. But uh, in our 12 of 12, um, I started to look at it more deeply later on and um, looked at what my character defects did to me or for me, and then I was able to be willing to have them removed. And then the seventh step, humbly ask him to remove them, the shortcomings. Oh, by the way, I call my higher power God, goddess, all there is. I don't know exactly what that is, but that's my name for this higher power that loves me and cares for me. Um, I had to check on that higher power. I didn't know my higher power would care what I ate. And so um, I would come home with a bag of something and I'd put it on the counter and I'd say, uh-oh, to myself, 
I'm going to eat all that if I open it up. And then I said, okay, HP, uh, if you don't want me to eat all of this, you've got to do something right now. And invariably, something would happen. Just that taking a moment to connect with my higher power uh, and it being around something that I was going to be compulsive about uh, helped me to take my attention away from that and notice something else. It might be a very simple thing like, oh, there's dishes in the sink, I think I need to wash them. Or when I had a dog, my dog would come up and say, let's go for a walk. Or, uh, or there'd be a phone call. And it might be a program call, it might not be. But it was something that took my attention away from that thing. Oh, God, can I leave it? And then go do something else. And when I come back, I didn't want it anymore. Um, that seemed like a miracle to me. Um, so um, then I, uh, the other reason that I understood that my higher power didn't want me in the food was that when I'm in the food, I'm not listening. My higher power might be trying to tell me something and I'm not listening. So um, my higher power wants me to just, you know, use food for nourishment and go on with my life and listen. So then I have to learn how to listen. Um, so step seven, of course, is uh, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Um, and so that's direct way of uh, connecting with my higher power. Um, eight and nine are... Uh, steps don't mention higher power, but I don't know how I could have done my amends without a higher power each time. Um, and like the first speaker said, uh, I learned to pray right away. Uh, when we got to the third step, uh, we read the third step prayer, and um, and then my sponsor said, well, you could re uh, say that every night. And I said, I don't like it. She said, okay, well, try something else. And she said, like, what? And she said, well, how about the serenity prayer plus thy will not mind be done? And I said, oh, I can do that. And uh, so I've been saying that for years, um, probably 10 times a day <laughs> or more, <laughs> depending on what's going on. Um, thank you. Um, and... Um, let's see. Um, oh, one of my big awakening parts, of my spiritual awakening parts, was when I realized that um, there's more to a spiritual connection and spiritual being, being spiritual, that, that more than connecting with my higher power. I call that like the vertical connection. There's the horizontal connection that how I treat people around me is spiritual. And um, I really got that I needed to learn to, to treat myself with loving kindness so that I can treat others around me with loving kindness. And that's my spiritual practice. Um, um, let's see. There was a lot of things I wanted to read. Um, in 
the um, Voices of Recovery on January 11th. It talks about a, a way to... Um, Step 11 encourages us to practice prayer, to continue talking to our higher power daily, even when it seems like a senseless exercise, and uh, goes on with being angry at God and not wanting to talk to him and stopping, but then uh, I learned how I need to pray, it says. I thank God for my abstinence in my recovery. I ask for help with my abstinence in the day ahead. I offer my service I acknowledge the previous day's failings and ask to be shown how to do better. I offer the day ahead to the service of God. I pray for friends in and out of OA. From the time I started this simple daily routine, my recovery stopped plodding forward. It sprang forward. Um, so uh, I do a prayer and meditation Let's see, okay, well, I step nine and step of ten is continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, probably admitted it. But that included, you know, working like the first three steps on something or doing a four through nine on something. So step ten is a spiritual practice. And step eleven, sought through parent meditation to improve my conscious content. So that's something I can always improve. Um, it's like, you know, a friendship. It can always be improved. We need to put some energy into our friendships. Um, and I'm making a friend with my higher power. So my higher power has been with me all along. I don't always know it or appreciate it or even uh abide by the guidance I get. <laughs> I mean, there's times when I said, okay, it's time to get up. you got to go do this. And I said, no, I want to do this now. I want to... Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I'm not a, a perfect... perfect anything. So even though perfectionism is one of my character defects, it's because I'm not perfect. Um, and I never will be. That's We're human beings. So... Many times I'll make mistakes and then I'll write back and I'll say, love, perfectly imperfect Meg. So I feel like I'm perfectly imperfect because I'm human. Um, there, There's wonderful things in our 12 and 12 about um, step 11. Um, if... If time spent in prayer and meditation makes us even a little bit saner or more loving, if it encourages or strengthens us even a tiny bit, we can be sure God has spoken and we have heard. So um, that's a wonderful way of me knowing that um, it's not me talking, it's my higher power talking. Um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, let's see. Eating compulsively was our chief means of relaxation. Meditation offers us a way to stop running and to relax without eating. So um, I, I've done uh, um, various kinds of meditation, and um, 
I have a routine now. Now, if somebody told me at the beginning that I was going to be doing all this, that I needed to do all this to every day of my life, I would say, <laughs> forget it, that's too much. I mean, I, I, I say the serenity prayer with I will not mind be done, the third step prayer, I grew to love it, the seventh step prayer, I love that one too, part of the 11th step prayer, and um, I have a Buddhist prayer that I say, and um, uh, I forgot what else there was. But, um, and then I pray for uh, people that I know that are having difficulties or people I'm having difficulty with. Um, and um, they're on my list, and so I, I may use that Buddhist prayer for them as well as for me and them and then other people. And then I have just a list, God help this, God help this, God help this person, that person. My lists sometimes get really long, and um, it feels like a good practice. Um, and um, I have now a very simple meditation that I do. I read the uh, four today and Voices of Recovery every day. Um, and if I don't do those things, and I don't give myself time, sometimes I rush through it because I don't have much time, but if I don't do those things, my, la- my days go kind of cranky or... Mm, mm, don't really flow. They don't. Things don't work so well. And um, when I do do them, things work a lot better. Um, so I'm really grateful to have a connection with a higher power. Um, in let's see. All right. It says here on the end of uh, step eleven. Always who made prayer and meditation a regular part of their lives have found a resource for healing and strength which cannot fail. It's a wonderful promise. Um, uh, it also says in this book, the only way to do meditation wrong is not to do it at all. So there's been times when I use solitaire, playing with cards, the actual cards, and, and that helps me to do something mindless and calm myself down. It's like a meditation. Um, uh, there are very simple um, sitting still and um, focusing on my breath. One person said to count your breaths. Each breath is one. So inhale, one. Inhale, one. So that's a very simple one. So um, uh, I I love that the the meditation talks about um, you know your mind will wander and then you just gently bring it back to one or your breath or whatever else you're focusing on wanders off. Bring it back. And sometimes those wandering off are my higher power giving me a message. So I'm really grateful to have a higher power in my life getting me through life. And life has been full uh, with lots of challenges. Um, One uh, 
couple years ago, I was on a platform like this, and I stepped to the side so that you could see me. I'm not going to do it because I stepped off the platform and broke my leg. So uh, I'm grateful that I'm not doing that today. <laughs> and um, my higher power got me through that recovery as well. So thank you. What's the biggest insight or understanding you've received from prayer and meditation? I think I mentioned that. It was that uh, horizontal taking care of people around me as well as um, myself and um, my higher power helping me to be loving to myself and then I can be loving to others. That's kind of crowded. I think the greatest insight that I've gotten from prayer and meditation is that we're all one. That there is no real separation between us. And that, like that little thing that I read, is that wherever I look, I see God. I don't know that I've gotten one that I could say is the greatest insight because for me, one of the most important things about prayer and meditation and really most of the practices of this program is that I'll realize something and I'll forget it. And I need to be reminded. And every time I sit down to meditate, I get reminded I'm not in charge. Like I can just breathe, you know. I get reminded I'm not alone. I'm connecting my spirit with everything else on this planet. And I forget that if I don't do it regularly. So. This is a good one. How do you know the difference between your will and God's will? Well, um, the proof is in the pudding, I think. Uh, when I... If I get a message and I, and I act on it and it creates havoc, that was my will, my ego. If I get a message and I act on it and it cre- creates harmony, that was God's will. It's another one of those things that I'm going to be different about because... There's no difference between God's will and my will. 
as one. So as an agnostic, I don't believe in God's will exactly. I don't believe that there's a path I should be following. Um, But what I do believe is that sometimes I like to think of it rather than God's will as goodwill, um, that I'm seeking only for knowledge of goodwill and the power to carry that out. And that is, is it something that is going to be kind and loving to me, to those around me? Is it going to be of service to the world? And there's a number of tools I can use to help me with that. Uh, I'll have an intuitive sense. Certainly when I sit down in prayer and meditation and kind of I'm able to clear my brain, I can access my intuition. I'll talk about it with other people in the program. In um, the AA 12 and 12, it, it says that we can't just do this by ourselves. We can't just assume that every thought that pops into our head is divine inspiration. And thank goodness I have all of you because I can call a fellow. I can share at a meeting. I can write about it. And all of those tools, if, I, if it's a, a major decision that I need to make, can help me to make sure that I'm doing something that, that feels like it's going to bring goodwill to myself and the people around me. Okay, we've got time for one more question. We've got time for one more question. How would you describe the difference between prayer and meditation? Uh, prayer is prayer is talking to God and and meditation is listening. You know what's coming, right? Okay, I don't need to say it. Thank you. No difference. Okay. Drive one mic. Uh, it's now time to close the session. Uh, please stand and we'll join hands as we close with I put my hand in yours. Yeah.